Hi everybody, welcome back. Beef and Lamb New Zealand Seen and Heard podcast. This is one of our break feeds, a short one. Um, and all my guests are special, but this one's probably especially special for me. Um, we've got a lot of history in terms of my employment and his roles and in his job and the fact that he's coming to the end of it. So I'm, I'm joined today by Mike Peterson, New Zealand's Special Agricultural Trade Envoy. So welcome along, Mike. Um, that job title, Special Agricultural Trade Envoy, what does it actually mean? I mean, we presume <laughs> we have lots and lots of trade people. Mm. What's the special one do? Well, we do, but you're right, it's a very wordy title, but it's actually there for diplomatic uh, times really. So a special envoy uh, basically gives you an ambassador type yep. status. So I'm a roving ambassador for the agricultural mm-hmm. sector uh, and in the past six and a half years I've been spending most of my time in trying to get uh, better market access mm-hmm. and uh, trading con- conditions for the New Zealand primary sector, not just mm. um, for sheep and beef farmers, for dairy farmers, for horticulture sector and also for the wine industry. So um, yeah. really important role. So, But I presume you don't have any sort of statutory you don't sign things as such? I mean, is no. there, it's no. about relationships and breaking down barriers and building friendships and that sort of stuff? Very much so. You yeah. know, I don't sign trade agreements, but I've been very involved in the trade agenda. Mm. Uh, and, and I think it's one of the things that's quite unique about New Zealand is this role. And yeah. I haven't found anyone who, any country mm. that's had a person like this in this position where you are appointed by the government to represent the sector's interests mm. when it comes to trade and market access. And, and that's quite unique. So having yeah. a farmer to bring a farmer's perspective to trade and market access actually really makes a difference. So, I mean, that's the primary thing that you are a bona fide farmer first and foremost. Other skills are obviously important, but that's the key thing? Yeah, very much so. And, yep. and you know, so my, my friends all joke that I hardly spend any time farming, <laughs> but I'm, a, I'm home yep. about half the time. And, yep. and that's, uh, you know, getting your hands dirty, understanding mm. what is happening on the ground, uh, it's a big part of the job. So for those of you that don't know, tell us about your farming background and your farm and what you actually do do when you're home half of the time. Yes, well look, we're farming in Central Hawke's Bay and uh, we've got a finishing farm there. Mm-hmm. We we had um, a breeding property there before I started doing some off-farm work and we decided to simplify it more because um, you know the climate for us was changing. We're very dry in Central Hawke's Bay and so we are finishing cattle uh, through the autumn mm-hmm. and winter, some, some lambs as well through the uh, autumn and winter uh, and then a regrassing programme where we're finishing lambs and cattle in the summer as well. So all finishing and of course that means yeah. You know, when I'm travelling, it's much, much easier for my 82-year-old father to come in and do the work <laughs> while I'm away. Um, and I think that's probably the first time I can remember coming across Mike Bitterson in my roles was um, you did quite a bit of work around uh, the cost of feed in winter, and that's when you used to make a lot of decisions around you'd that's work exactly out what it cost right. you to grow a kilogram of dry matter. I did. You I did. In fact, I even did it. Well done. You, you <laughs> might have been one of the few people that read the project. But, uh, but no, I, try, I tried to really sort of focus on the, on the value of feed yeah. at different seasons. And, and I still hold firm to the view that, you know, it depends on where you come from and what region. So you can't make a, a single judgment for all of New Zealand. It depends on where you come from. No, I just was thinking about that because... The, when we started catching up with you and basically how you, I think you ended up in the role you're in, you actually then had some sort of chairmanships and directorship roles on a number of the iterations that the old meat and wool boards went through. So can you give us a potted history? What we would yeah, say? Sheet Co was the first one, wasn't well, it? Well, it was. And this was one of the uh, organisations that came out of the wool board. So, um, and look, I got involved with Sheep Co. I was asked by farmers to stand for the role. And, uh, and so I got involved with that. And then um, quite quickly, you know, we looked at it and thought, look, this doesn't make sense mm. to have a separate board or organisation for uh, wool and sheep meat. So I uh, got talking to the uh, current New Zealand meat board at the time 
time and, and Jeff Grant was the mm. chair and, uh, and he thought that made sense too to put the two together so we did that uh, and that started Meat and Wool New Zealand and of course um, now we've gone through to Beef and Lamb when yeah. farmers voted out the wool levy back in 2011 I think it was. And you were chair of Beef and Wool New Zealand for a while and, and you were chair the first year of Beef and Lamb when it came into... That's right, yeah, yes, so. yeah, no, absolutely. So uh, no, look, I was very uh, very lucky to have spent a lot yeah. of time around Beef and Lamb New Zealand and, and seen that industry uh, reorganisation happen. I think mm. when we look at what the organisations are now, you know, they're a million miles mm. away from where the producer boards were. We've got the farmer councils on the ground doing incredible work, the yep. regional presence is really important um, and so that's exactly where the organisations needed to go. Yeah, no, look, I'm showing my age but 2001 I started with the wall board so I've sort of I've never actually left the desk, but my job's changed and all the jackets have changed with those. Buddies. Although Beef and Lamb's been here a while, but it's uh, it's been a fascinating period of change the last, um, oh God, it's nearly two decades. Jeez, now I'm so much. Anyway, let's get into you, talk about you some more. Um, beef and Lamb just put out a release the other day saying both sheep meat and beef each mm. are going to break $4 billion in, in export earnings this year. How much of that's your credit? You take credit. Well, for, I, I take it all, yeah, of course, right. you know. But uh, on commission. <clears throat> no, exactly, why. exactly. No, no. Look, look I, I think um, I think we do need to actually reflect on just how um, successful the industry mm. has been. Um, when I consider uh, the amount of growth that's happened, and you know, I, one of the things that really sort of niggles with me is that people often talk about the fact the markets move. They mm. ignore the huge gains that have been made by farmers around the consistency of product, the improved genetics and feeding that have come through, uh, and also the meat processing and exporting sector, again, doesn't get enough credit, in my view, uh, for the incredible work they've done around developing new markets, um, developing new products, uh, increasing the yields and utilisations uh, and saleable product. Um, they've done an incredible job at actually uh, further adding value to yep. what is now quite a, a refined and limited resource. Yep. And look, I know you've been awful enthusiastic about the role and take a lot of pride in it, and, that, and that's fair enough. But I mean, without necessarily blowing, but without being overly modest about it, the role of the Special Agricultural Trade Envoy and the teams you work with. They are making a significant contribution to that sort of... Oh, look, undoubtedly. And, and, and I think if I look at the presence that we have offshore now, uh, whether it's the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Trade or the Ministry for Primary Industries mm -hmm. people, um, the trade negotiators that, that are working on our behalf, you know, we've had a relentless pursuit of uh, new trade for mm -hmm. new trade agreements and opening new markets around the world. Uh, the most recent one, of course, was the CPTPP, mm -hmm. the uh, Asia-Pacific um, Region yep. Trade Agreement, countries. It's now given us a trade agreement that we never had with Canada, Mexico, Japan mm. and of course those other countries around the Asia Pacific. Um, because what we know from New Zealand is that we need access to a range of markets in order to maximise the value of every component or cut of product that we have. So um, so we have um, we have been very blessed. We have uh, we have literally the best negotiators in the world, in my view, particularly in the agricultural sense. Yep. Uh, we're very well represented offshore, and the role of New Zealand's special envoy for agricultural trade mm. is um, is just a part of that part of that uh, jigsaw. But you know, it really uh, does play a role. Yep. So all that stuff like CPTPP, that's been a big part of you. You've been. 
Yes. Knee deep. You don't just go into wine and cheese evenings here and there. No. Embassies. You're, you, that sort of stuff takes up your time. Oh, look, absolutely. I, I travel about eight times a year offshore okay. to different markets, always where we are trying to mm-hmm. negotiate something. Um, I spent. I went to all of the most of the ministerial meetings uh, that were negotiating the CPTPP. Mm-hmm. Um, so very, very important part of the job to have a farmer sitting around around the negotiations, yep. saying, "Look, you know, our farmers care about this. Um, don't don't sell us down the drain." Yep. Um, so no, it, it's been a it's been an important part of what we do, and I've been fortunate enough to be around that you know the China um, FTA for example, yep. and of course look at what's happened there, the growth in two way trade, you know now you know thirty billion odd dollars, it's mm-hmm. just been phenomenal. So um, they've created big opportunities for us, and yep. um, we need to keep doing that. Yep. Look, I'm going to uh, put a link down below on the podcast. When you listen to this, you'll see a link to a fact sheet from Beef and Lamb New Zealand, which actually just came out: barriers to international trade. The tally there is about $350 million saved per annum from this sort of work. So um, it's paying off. I mean, there's some big bucks involved, but the, the benefit of the industry are fairly significant. You know, $350 is a lot, um, and it's still significant even for a $4 billion or $8 billion red meat industry. So. Absolutely. But you talked about China, and that's one of the things I think you're talking about today is what's going on there at the moment. So um, let's get specific on a technical issue, African swine fever. Mm. Um, in a nutshell, what is it? What's it doing and what's it likely to do or likely to mean short, medium term for New Zealand? Absolutely. Look, this is a big, this is a big one, really, and this is shaking protein markets worldwide. Mm-hmm. African swine fever. This is a, a disease that is in pigs. Um, it doesn't have a cure. Uh, there's no vaccine available, uh, and the only way to get rid of it is to slaughter basically mm-hmm. every affected animal and every at-risk animal. So, Afri- so it's, it's it's only pigs that get affected, though. <clears throat> yes, it is. But for pigs, is it basically worse than foot and mouth? You know, we we yep. worry about foot and mouth. Yeah, it is. No, very much yeah. so. It, it spreads. It's very virulent. Mm-hmm. Uh, it spreads badly. It um, it affects the uh, animal health of the pig, and also it's it's um, stays in the is a residue in the in the meat product too. Oh, okay. So, so this is a major yep. major problem. In does China. it have animal uh, human health issues? Or is yes, that, it can do. Is it right? And okay. I'm not sure exactly what it does, yep. but I know that it's can it's detected, and of course, then for that reason alone, you know, it's mm-hmm. not it's not very favoured. So, you know, we're going to see we're seeing the extraordinary situation where China is the largest producer of pork in the world and mm-hmm. the largest consumer of pork in the world, they will be slaughtering, r- recent reports, about up to 70% of their national herd um, by the end of this calendar year. Um, and, you know, there is now a protein deficit in China uh, that everyone's scrambling to try and fill. Yes, I mean, 70%, and, and pork's the number one consumed meat. For exactly, a billion odd people. Just just to give you a sense of it, yeah. China China consumes about fifty five million tons of pork a year. Um, they import about five million tons of that. So fifty five. So if they yeah. slaughter slaughter seventy percent of their herd, just remember we only export yeah. about uh, one million tons of sheep meat and beef a year. Yeah, one million yeah. tons. And China's got a ten million ton protein deficit this year. And how long is this going to be an issue? I mean, what's the? Are they going to get it in a year or two? Or I mean, you, this is no. A- I think I was um, I was actually in the media back in February this year, uh, suggesting this will this will actually change protein markets for the next three to five years, mm. um, and that's still my view today. Uh, this is not something that you can get over within twelve months. Mm-hmm. Um, this is now spread to Thailand. This is spread to South Korea. This is now in the Philippines. Uh, there's real nervousness that it could mm. jump into uh, Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in the wild pig population in Europe and parts of Eastern Europe so this, this is major yeah. and, um, and and I think as I say this is going to uh, going to shift protein markets for three to five years. Mm. 
Now, there's a lot of angst, or there's been a lot of discussion. Beef and Lamb New Zealand spent a lot of time on alternative proteins, which we're going to talk about in just a minute. But um, then you get a black swan thing like this comes along and mm. puts it really into perspective. But let's talk alternative proteins. I think you're going to talk a wee bit about them today. And, and um, our last speaker's just talked about it. There's a lot of resources around. Um, what's your view? What have you seen, heard? What do you think what, you're well, picking up? Look, I've, I've always been of the view that, frankly, you know, the alternative proteins needn't be a threat. They're, mm-hmm. they're as much of an opportunity as a threat. And the work that Beef and Lamb New Zealand mm-hmm. did with their study, you know, clearly proved that um, if we just get on with telling our story, promoting our attributes that are, in most cases, um, of uh, much more preferred uh, uh, attributes than what we're talking mm-hmm. from alternative proteins, then New Zealand will be fine. Mm. We'll be we'll be right for this, and I'm I'm entirely confident and convinced that um, uh, if we focus on telling our story, mm. that that we will still have access to those discerning consumers who want the naturally produced, the grass fed, unprocessed, non GMO mm. products that uh, consumers are looking for. And you referred to before about how it's big business here, but you know our production, our exports are a drop in the bucket of world red meat protein consumption I mean is that actually potentially a strength here in that we could get swamped but at the same time it's easy for us to be seen you know we're not we're not in the the big markets but we can no. differentiate more easily is that yeah true? very much so yeah. absolutely we, you know we're so niche in the world it, it, it's just um you know it's beyond uh yeah. we, we, we sh- we're not mainstream protein supply yeah. um so we're completely different to other countries and we're only talking a million tons of sheep and beef products for example exported to the world i think we can only feed about 20 million yeah. meat meals a year in a, in a global population that's at 7 billion going to 9 billion so this is this is um our opportunity has to be to target those people that literally don't ask the price. Does that fact that we are, you know, sort of a, a flea on the elephant's back and it make your job harder in this trade role? Because, I mean, mm. you don't carry a very big stick. You're not no. making say, all right, well, you're not getting our red meat. No, and we don't have uh, any hard diplomacy mm. um, options, really. We, we have to work on soft diplomacy, and, and it's always one of the things I keep saying is a small nation reliant on the mm. world for a living, we always have to do more and go further. Yep. And that's one of the things I think that's challenging people here with the domestic policy pipeline that's coming around uh, central freshwater reforms around climate change, mm-hmm. people are saying, you know, why are we doing this? Why do we need to do this? And the reality is consumers have choice mm-hmm. and others are claiming to be better at this stuff than we are. And so um, we do have to, as I say, always do more and go further. Yep. And uh, we are the flea on the elephant. So your ride on the elephant, if you like, is coming to an end, <clears throat> um, coming to the end of two terms. Time's up. Yes. And um, there's some information on our website about the new person who's taking over from you, Mel Poulton, who actually also used to work for Beef and Lamb New Zealand. I worked pretty closely with her for a few years. Um, You can find out about her. But um, I know when, uh, you know, a president in the US leaves the White House, they always leave a letter on the desk. I don't know whether there's some grand office somewhere for the special agricultural (coughs) trade envoy, but uh, metaphorically, if there's a letter you're leaving to the next person, Mel, coming into the role, what are the to-dos you're going to have on the list for her? Yeah, well done. But uh, I can guarantee you there is no letter and there's no grand <laughs> desk, you know, yeah. so <clears throat> that's, a, that, that's a first point. But no, but I think I think that every every person who's held this role, including, you know, Alistair Paulson mm-hmm. before me, the late Alistair Paulson, of course, um, Malcolm Bailey before him, Brian Chamberlain, the mm-hmm. first one, uh, they've always... Um, done the role in slightly different ways and so my focus has been very much on trade um, and you know that's Uh been quite a busy part of the six and a half years that I've Uh been involved Um, and look Mel will do a great job Uh she will pick it up and do uh, the role in her own way and I think that's entirely appropriate so I'll just argue always as I've said 
First and foremost, whenever I introduce myself mm-hmm. overseas, when they say, you know, who are you? I say, I'm a, I'm a sheep and yep. beef farmer from Waipagraa. And, and that's first and foremost, you know, so stay true to your roots. Mm-hmm. Um, don't get above your station. You're not here to lecture anyone about, um, you know, what they should be doing yep. around the world. We're just here to humbly go out into the world and tell New Zealand's story of success. Yep. And if we do that, then frankly, we'll leave a good impression. So what do you reckon's coming though? Like if she does two terms and then in five or six years' time, is it still going to be African swine flu alternative proteins or are there some other things you reckon might be coming down the line that she's going to have to deal with? There'll be things that we haven't even thought of yet. The pace of change at the moment is so incredibly disruptive Mm -hmm. and and I think that's why some farmers might feel threatened because Mm -hmm. they they see what's happening and and it's only really just come into food. Um, You know, the the Uber, for example, Mm -hmm. the taxi industry has been here for quite a long time now. The, the smartphone and tech re- revolution has, has changed things yep. dramatically as well. So, you know, I think the focus on food will mean that, yes, we'll still be talking about alternative proteins, but there will be things that we haven't thought about mm. yet in six years' time. And, and I think that's the thing that people grapple with. Yep. All right. Hey, look, we're about to get going downstairs, so we're going to wrap up here. But um, we talked about where you've come from, what you've done. Um, without giving too much, where are you going to from here? What's happen- What's next on the plate for Mike Peterson? Well, I get about six months of the year back um, <laughs> to to go back and go and do some farming. So uh, got some lambs to dig, or something. Yeah, like we've got it. We've always got lambs, <laughs> lambs. We've always got uh, uh, cattle to weigh and sort yep. up. So no, no, look, and, and that's been good. I mean, look, I, I've loved every minute yep. of this of this role. There's no question mm. about that. It's been a real privilege. Um, but you know, um, everything comes to an end at yep. some stage. So no, no, I'm very the comfortable farming, to go dogs, back to do some farming, get involved in a few things i'll still be floating around aaron yeah yeah. and look um we do this people will still be able to hear your thoughts or follow what you're doing you're on a few different social media you're on twitter yes yeah i I do i do tweet particularly when i'm i'm commenting on trade issues or when i'm traveling i don't uh, tweet what i had for breakfast this morning i don't think that's of any relevance to anything (laughs) but you know um at tipuna mike so that's my that's the name of the farm at home tipuna farm so um if you want to have a look and and have a follow then love to see no we'll stick that in the the um the bio the blue down here below the podcast as well by all means follow Mike if you're not already but hey Mike good to catch up it's been um, an interesting 20 years I'm not sure whether I'll be talking to you again in another 20 years but good to hear what you're up to thanks Aaron appreciate it